Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to tonight's edition of Students for a Better Future Radio. I'm your host, Green Finkel, with Cisco Acosta, and we are live. Both of you. 
Yeah, and I want to start with you on, um, you know, basically, you know, we've been talking about the interconnection between human trafficking and pornography. We can start with that first. And I played a clip in the beginning of the show from our friends from Covenant Eyes. Um, How are the two interconnected? Well, you know, there's a, a lot of ways that they're connected. As a matter of fact, one of the things about pornography that puts it on our radar is uh, the fact that if you look at the way, you know, the the growing massive response that we are having, not just in the United States but in the world to combating trafficking, a lot of the a lot of the things that are being funded and are happening uh, are in the areas of legislation, law enforcement shelter initiatives, victim services, and things. And all of those things are focused behind the trafficker, what the trafficker does. But pornography falls way ahead uh, of trafficking works because oftentimes pornography is used to create demand. A lot of people don't stop and think that before you can click it and see it, somebody has to be exploited. And it seems like such an innocent, victimless crime in today's world where internet, where the Internet makes pornography on demand, instantly available, not just photos and not just videos, but live feeds. And um, so I think a lot of people, you know, like you, like you said, there isn't the same level of outrage pornography it's still considered joke material on a lot of tv shows uh punchlines that have to do with that's the only thing that a computer is used for and things like that there isn't really yet you know a moral outrage about what really happens to victims before the pornography is produced so um you mentioned uh doreen that uh, demand it creates demand um and, you know, there was a global study that uh, indicated um, about half of the trafficking victims were also forced to produce pornography as part of their things that they are coerced to do, and it's used to market them. It's used for marketing material on websites, and, you know, uh, today's trafficker uses the Internet to connect with Johns and customers. They they use the Internet quite skillfully. And uh, if you look at the, the Internet today, a lot of the tools and a lot of the developments that occurred as the Internet matured were things that were actually being developed first by those who were purveying porn. Uh, the ability to stream videos, that happened first by pornographers cookies that would follow you after you go to a website and follow you to other places and track where you go that came from that area too there's a lot of a lot of things that were as uh, the internet kind of matured that were kind of uh led unfortunately by people with those kinds of you know uh those kind of activities online so what kind of things have you found so so they actually helped enable the internet well, they helped develop it. Like I said, there, you know, there was a time where the internet you could just see a still picture, and uh, the very first time that you were able to hear audio or to see video, those were developments that were funded by people who were trying to get porn on the internet. Yeah, um, I, you know, I've traveled quite a bit throughout um, Europe and, and South America, um, and. In a, in a country like uh, Holland, mm-hmm. a city like Amsterdam, there's so many women from the from Eastern Europe, from from uh, Romania, from Bulgaria, from the poor countries in the EU, uh, that get uh, basically swept away with promises of working as uh, models and everything, and they end up in the red light district in Amsterdam. Uh, controlled by uh, the mafia, the the either the um, the Albanian mafia or uh, other mafias. So I mean, this is the this is a huge problem on a global scale because it's not one individual, two individuals that are basically trapping it. It's it's a well organized 
uh, well schemed um, underground type of organization. Yes, it is. That it yeah, sure and, is. And, and, and like I mentioned, I've mentioned to Doreen, it's unless the the world is ready to work together to really stop this, it's going to be difficult. I mean, you can make some progress on it, but to totally eliminate it. You're going to really, really have to make sure that the world is is, is 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 working together. You know what you're touching on is something that we have we've been studying the issue since 2010, and we have collected data on trafficking incidents all over the U.S. We have now connected with law enforcement from 57 nations around the world, and I will tell you that. Um, it's amazing how complicated this issue really is. And you kind of touched on, you know, how it's connected to other things. I would actually make the statement that every social ill that, that modern societies deal with, every single one of them have connections to trafficking. And, and that includes things like gangs and drug trafficking and smuggling. You touched on organized crime and you also touched on poverty. Poverty is one of the reasons why people, will uh, throw caution to the wind and get involved with somebody who they might not really want to trust, but they're desperate. And it it leads a lot of people to make bad choices because of desperation, homelessness, uh, mental health issues. There's all kinds of, like I said, just about every social ill that we deal with, even divorce, uh, because uh, children who find themselves who don't have a father figure in their life, traffickers have figured out that is a way to manipulate, to come pretending to be kind of a father figure to someone who's desperate to have one. And so I think for us to really address an issue that's this complicated, we have to not make it our goal to try to fix the interconnected mess that human trafficking is connected to. Uh, I think it was Socrates that said the secret to change is to focus all our energy, not on finding the old, but on building the new. And you know, we need to reach children at a very young age to impact them to understand how dangerous pornography is. You know, there's a natural curiosity that a child would have if they were to stumble upon something. That's one of the other things that pornographers did is they were very smart in uh, getting domain names that, that they thought children might go to if they were doing a research paper or studying something and they needed to uh, Google something, not to pull them into this, but if they needed to do a search on the web for something for a long time, I don't think it's the case anymore. If you went to whitehouse.com, um, it would take you to a porn site. The true site would be whitehouse.gov. And I think they nasa.com, and they did all these sites so that if a young person was doing a search, they would stumble upon it. And I would tell you that a young mind is curious. They're naturally curious and they will get drawn in. And then if these sites have these tools that they built into them, like it would reach, it would pop up windows later on saying, come back, see us again. Uh, they even now have, you know, they've resorted to doing things like putting up sites that have children's games that you could play online. And while playing the game, the sidebar ads are ads for porn sites. And so they're doing everything they can to create addicted users at a very young age. And not only have they started that, but they've also spent a lot of energy focusing, you know, porn used to be considered something that boys and men partake in, but they've spent a lot of time and energy trying to uh, produce and design porn that would, that would be aimed at girls and women. And there are now support groups for women who are addicted to porn. So it is no longer a male thing. Uh, the porn industry realized that, you know, that they only had half of a demographic if they only were aiming it at boys and men. And so now it's, it's out there and there's uh, porn sites and there's uh, uh, even in the ind- movie industry, they have, you know, movies that are aimed at women. So uh, on all fronts, you know, they are targeting and luring in spectators to see it, and then they will follow them and try to create a continuous consumption. And uh, I think 
I don't have the stat in front of me, but the fastest growing consumer of porn is uh, children uh, 12 years old. And so well, the yeah. fastest new consumer. Well, I think uh, you, you made a great point on on everything you just said. I uh, Great listening to you on all the points you made part of our pornography that uh, actually is impacting today's men is that they are moving away. Men that get indulged and addicted to pornography also tend to lose that passion and, 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 and cannot feel comfortable in a real relationship. And you know, creating a lot of issues yes. uh, domestically, uh, marital, the marital situation between it, a husband and a it wife. Has, it has been shown to be a um, having an impact on the creating a dysfunction and men's uh, ability to have normal relationships and even physical relationships. Uh, that Because I think one of the things porn does is it, it creates an unrealistic uh, imagery and uh, the consumer who just constantly is filling their head with imagery, uh, it creates an unrealistic, you know, set of expectations for what that physical relationship would be like because they, they have, uh, they use people that uh, do not fall into the, they the the people they use the subjects in pornography oftentimes just do not fit what you would find normally out there as you will, are engaging with real people and so and that's the case for both men and women who are you know are being filmed or photographed so I think that it hurts it hurts the consumer by making the world unrealistic to them and it. It impacts their ability to have normal relationships, uh, not just uh, premarital, you know, courting and uh, dating, but you know, it impacts marriages as well. So it doesn't come without it doesn't come without consequence to the person who's engaging in it. It has uh, a very large consequence when you consider that it also it has similar or almost identical. Um, physiological effect on the brain uh, when it, you compare it to other kinds of addictions. You know, every single addiction out there has in common one thing, and that is it, it is an escalating addiction. People don't start out drinking two bottles of vodka a day. They start with a drink, and they don't start at the $1,000-a-table poker game. They start at the penny slot machine, and they continue to, you know, the thrill and whatever it is that they think they benefit, the immediate response from engaging in addictive behavior, it requires an escalation that keeps going. And that escalation usually has an endpoint, and that's destruction or death. Uh, when you're talking about alcohols, when you're talking about drugs, uh, when you're talking about pornography, it, it can lead somebody to go down a path where they are totally ruined professionally uh, from their family and their relationships. Uh, it just tears their life apart and it leads to total destruction. And so uh, I think we have to reach children at a young age to prepare them for – we cannot keep a child from uh, stumbling into this. We have to prepare them for what to think and know if that happens, when it happens. And so we need to be thinking at a much younger age as our, we are thinking about how do we intervene, what interventions do we need to work on, because it's kind of late when you're going to try to work with a a grown man in, in a, you know, uh, some kind of a support group, or even a teenager who's seen more porn, probably a 16-year-old has seen more porn than somebody our age has seen in all their lives because the ability to see it on demand wasn't there when we were growing up. It was only, you know, in magazines that were kind of behind the counter that you had to be 18 to buy. And now, you know, uh, a child any age with a cell phone that has Internet can see it instantly and go in a place where they hide and see it. So it's the the game has totally changed. Well, so well I, I think, wonder what this oh, does go, go, to go hold on Ruba. Hold on, Ruba. I want to ask what what's um what this does to productivity. 
um, if if a lot of people are getting addicted to it, um, and you know, and the adults as well, you know, these adults, you know, go to work and and if, if they have an addiction, then you know, they might well, not even go to work, or, or they might even do become a like problem. Porn while they're at the, at the internet at work. Yes, it's become a problem for employers. And so employers have had to resort to monitoring activity on their network and tracking what sites people go to. They've also had to resort to locking down sites that have certain keywords that appear within those sites. Uh, you know, the, in the same way that social media, generally speaking, has become an issue of productivity in the workplace. But I will tell you that in the workplace, um, you know, uh, consuming porn. Uh, while at work, um, and some people, because they have the full-blown Internet on their cell phone, locking down your network at work doesn't necessarily keep it from happening. If somebody's truly addicted, they can certainly engage, you know, in, in that, that habit and that addiction easily on their cell phone. So, um, you know, uh, at the point of addiction is really a point where the person no longer has self-control. They are now being controlled by an addiction. They're not making choices. They are basically following an addiction. And so it becomes really difficult. And uh, so it's impacting home life. It's impacting work life. Uh, it's impacting a, someone's ability to be productive. If somebody's uh, profession requires them to be productive because their income is determined by how productive they are, it can severely impact your income. And, you know, lead, like I said, to that downward spiral and destruction. In the meantime, they are consuming something that requires somebody to first be exploited. That's right. Um, Ruben, I know you want to ask something. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they've, stepped, they've stepped it up now to the next level. In Japan, now they have virtual sex robots that perform right. virtual Themes right. for individuals that are addicted to porn. I mean, so they're stepping it up. I mean, the pornography industry, it's going to the next level. Uh, I don't think too many people that I've spoken to, they were not aware of this, and um, it, it's, it's incredible. That's, that's one. Number two, the whole pornography and human trafficking that also entails another aspect, file rings out there that are part of that human trafficking and are also part of the pornography industry. So that's a double, triple challenge to law enforcement because you're dealing with multiple layers. That's, and that's number two. Number three, and then uh, if you want to comment on that, is the aspect of the dog net. So the dog net where a lot of it, these uh Transactions and, and, and uh, mm -hmm. you know uh, that's where that that's where uh, child porn is exchanged back and forth. Exactly. That's where you know exactly. uh, the, the the federal laws regarding pornography uh, fall into three categories. One is producing it. Number two is possessing it. And number three is transmitting it. Those are three separate crimes. I'll tell you something that. It, it is because today everyone from maybe 9 or 10 on up has the Internet in their pocket in the form of a cell phone. And so we live in a place where, you know, children in school and this, that, and the other. And so, um, you know, I want to just take a, a little bit of break, just a segue from pornography to say that uh, while it is a big part of it, you know, it's connected to the bigger picture of human trafficking. And so, and it creates uncharted territories for how we govern, how, how we police, how we protect, all of those things. And I'll give you an example. Um, if a two 14-year-old, let's say a boy and a girl, decide that they are interested in each other romantically and they start seeing each other, you know, today's, you know, uh, one of the big myths is that uh, a child is being only groomed for uh, trafficking if and when they are being, you know, in a relationship or friendship with a, with a predator. But I will tell you, our whole society is grooming children at an early age to be sexualized, to know more at age five than, you know, in our generation we knew at age 25. 
And I will tell you that it's not possible to drive your child to church on Sunday without passing a scantily clad billboard for a gentleman's club. And so you cannot protect a child. You have to prepare them. Protection is not possible anymore, only preparation. And so let's talk about something, an unintended consequence. So two 14-year-olds get romantically involved, and it's no big deal in today's world for them to explore uh, sexually with each other. Everybody has a camera. Everybody has cameras in their pocket because it's in their cell phone. And so if they take pictures of each other, they are both guilty of producing child porn. And if they keep that, those images on their phone, they are both guilty of a federal crime of possessing. And if they transmit it by sending a text to somebody, hey, you know, uh, one of their buddies or she sends it or he sends it, they are now guilty of transmitting. And so I will tell you that uh, we work on a coalition that includes uh, federal, state, and local law enforcement. And um, I, I know that uh, uh, someone uh, who I know is in a federal law enforcement agency, I won't name which, uh, they got called in because he, this person was embedded with the police department and the federal agency by uh, a girl who that happened to her, that word got out that they had something on their phone, and so the vice principal called him into the office and uh, got their phones, looked at it, and he confiscated two cell phones, put them in his desk drawer, and said, you know, these are mine till the end of the school year. And so when the girl's dad was asking, where's your phone? I'm paying your, for your phone. What, what happened to your phone? She said the vice principal stole her phone. And so the father calls the police, and the police, uh, they have a federal agency embedded, and they go and investigate and go to the school, and the principal says, look what they're doing. And so this, this law enforcement officer had to explain to the principal that you are now guilty of possessing child porn that you could be arrested because you knowingly have child porn in your desk where those two phones are. And so there is so much uncharted territory that is happening now because children, youth, teens, underage minors, they're producing their own porn. We have to not just think and isolate this in a way where we're, where we're looking at the issue like it's just, you know, professional pornographers out there young people and the way that relationships happen today, they're producing it all the time. And one of the biggest issues related to pornography is something called revenge porns. That's created by boyfriends and girlfriends uh, mm-hmm. that are both minors and adults. So there's a lot of areas where it's just creeping into our world, into our society, into our culture. And, uh, you know, we the, the Pandora's box is truly open when you look at pornography and the way that it's impacted because everybody has a camera. And so um, if there is a gang rape, there's probably, you know, 10 cell phones videotaping it. And so these are the kind of things that, you know, are still part of the pornography issue that are becoming, like I said, part of our culture. And I, I don't know what the answer is to that other than, at a very young age, we need to train children before they have an own and possess a cell phone. You know, what are the rules and what kind of what are the things you can get in trouble with and what are the cautionary tales that you need to be taught? And so I'm I truly believe that when a child is up until the age about maybe sixteen, they should have not have a phone with a camera. And they should not have a phone with internet on it either. Or apps. Because uh, most of the activity around, you know, chat apps and cell phones and cameras are what's basically preparing our child to be no, no big deal impacted when somebody talks to them about, well, maybe you should have sex for money. The, the latest new trend in trafficking that is really disturbing is that young people, minors, are starting to figure out that they're being used by grown-ups in trafficking, and they're starting to think, well, we don't need them. We can make the money ourselves. And that is something that has started to happen, is that there was uh, not too long ago, within less than a year, a high school senior a cheerleader, a head cheerleader, 
who was arrested for trafficking her underclassmen cheerleaders. And so all of this starts because wow. of the, you know, the uh, easy availability to pornography to desensitize the idea of uh, the human body, of sexuality, of all of these things that are part of it. We're, they're being groomed by culture. Not tra- we, it's not until a, a trafficker meets them. Our children are being groomed by the culture. Right. Wow. Now, now you're, you're in Texas. Well, I'm in Texas, too. Um, and we, we know that, that we have the, uh, the Rio Grande, and we have so many different borders. Uh, and, right. and, 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 you know, the Mexican cartels, are basically they, they they're involved in the human trafficking. Right. How do you see how do you see the progress that has been made in regards to curtailing the uh, the level of human trafficking that was happening a couple of years ago with today? Well, um, I would tell you that um, there's been some groundwork an improvement in the rescue. When we got started in 2010, the statistic for rescue for uh, someone being pulled into trafficking, pulled into what a victim refers to as being in the life, um, the rescue rate was one-half of 1%, actually less than one-half of 1%. And that that means that, you know, there's 99.5% chance of not being rescued I mean, that's the translation, and that, that's when we realized that if our agency wanted to have impact, that we wanted to be working uh, on preventing someone being in that situation. And so that's where we got into prevention. And I will tell you, a lot of the prevention energy needs to be focused on underst- teaching young people at an early age about, uh, like I said, they have a natural curiosity and there has to be some way to address it and teach them at an early age. You know, uh, right now, you know, people, there's so much that's been put into trying to teach children that if you see a gun, not to touch it, or if you're at a friend's house and they pull out a gun, leave right away. And so we can teach children, you know, to, what to do if they see it. And we need to be working on that because um, the truth is they are not, prepared for being mentally mind-blown by seeing something for the first time. Uh, I remember as a child, as a young child, having no idea what the anatomical differences between a boy and a girl. I just didn't have any idea. And I grew up with three sisters who were older than me, and I will tell you, there were dolls all over the place. And, of course, dolls weren't anatomically correct, so I had no idea. And so today's children, at a very young age, have very graphic ideas about what the anatomy is, and that curiosity, like I said, it's a natural thing. It's uh, built into our DNA. We have to deal with that, and we have to at an early age. And so we're right now, in terms of impact, we're working on something we're call, we call ECGI, and that's Early Childhood Guidance and Instruction. And that's starting for material for parents of very young children. What are the things that we need to begin teaching young children to understand because by the time they're 12, the world that they live in as a 12-year-old with a target that has a neon sign on them, they're not prepared. Traffickers and pornographers, they rely on an unsuspecting target, not knowing what they're getting into is going to pull them into something they get trapped. And so this early childhood guidance and instruction is what we're working to develop. We spent years going after looking at and evaluating thousands of cases of trafficking around the country so that we could see patterns and trends and how traffickers operate. And the pornography thing, you know, I will tell you, it is a marketing channel for pornography. And it is in itself uh, trafficking because somebody is being exploited. Uh, Most uh, pornography is being monetized where they're making money off of it. And so that right there fits the definition you know, exploitation where somebody has gain. And so um, we need to be working with young children, and uh, we need to be t- teaching them uh, the difference between friends and fake friends, and we need to be teaching them the dangers of older friends. And I will tell you, 
with great authority from everything we've seen that it is infinitely more important for a parent to have a discussion about love with their child than it is for them to even have a talk about sex. You see, most of these children who engage in physical relationships at a young age, they actually think that they love each other, and they have no idea. It's, it's also kind of an instinctive I kind of. It is absolutely an instinctive human behavior to want to love and be loved. That, those are two different things. To want to love is to want to give love. To want to be loved is to want to receive love. And we have an instinctive desire, and I will tell you that uh, traffickers – will use fake romantic interests to try to lure because they know that any child is going to be attracted to it. And so we need to teach our children. It's more important for us to talk to them about love than it is about sex. Pornography falls in that category of sex. And I will tell you, we need to teach them more about love. And we need to teach them how to understand fake love and that, that you fall in love with your head, not with your heart. And so... Somebody who understands that uh, will have less chance of being confused by thinking, you know, pornography is in the realm of love. It isn't. It's in the realm of it's of exploitation, and it uses, you know, like I said, sexualized human beings and imagery. But you know, we a young person will be confused that it's all part of that same universe, and it is not. Uh, I'm just listening and, and, you know, gaining a lot of information on this. Um, But I I don't know if you know, but we had a case here about, must have been about three three or four years ago, a girl, Amanda Winkowski, got mixed up in, um, in a human trafficking case. This was out of Buffalo, New York. And, um, yeah, and 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 um, she wound up, you know, she she wound up killed. Um, hmm. But what they did was they use they actually used the drug, the heroin. Um, when you know they introduced her to heroin and and she became addicted to that. And but anyhow, um, the, her mother was telling me that. Um, Amanda met this guy who was, uh, he must have been about 35 at the time, and she was only 20, so he was a little bit older than her. And he would kind of wine and dine her and, you know, take her to places and, you know, seem like he was the the right person for her, and, and she went with him. And, you know, slowly but surely he, he took her under his wing and, he introduced her to the drugs, and then he started saying to things, you know, well, do you want to make 1500 a night? You know, you can go and perform a trick here and there, and that's what she was doing. And um, it was a terrible tragedy. And, you know, and, and he, he used the manipula- manipulation on her, which is a key thing. Well, and, and you're right, that's what we have to teach our young kids you know, what are these manipulation techniques? But And unfortunately, well, the, the traffickers are right changing them. You so, know, I will tell you, what, after looking, I will tell you, we had one question that we, we, looked, we kept asking ourselves. Every time we looked at a case, and like I said, we've looked at cases all over the country, the one question that we ask with every single one of them is what could this and we use the word child, what could this child have been taught before they met this predator? And from that, from asking that question thousands of times, uh, we started writing down what we called red flags, that if you spot this red flag, you know to be careful and to separate. Because oftentimes, uh, you know, a person who's being targeted, they're safe. Uh, you know, when they meet the person, they're, they're in danger, but they aren't in imminent danger. And oftentimes the relationship that they have before they get entrapped could last a month or even two months. It isn't like, you know, in the movies, it's always the first five minutes in one of these taken movies that somebody's abducted. And, uh, but that's not the way it happens in real life. There is a fake friendship called grooming. And you mentioned a lot of things that are part of a 
almost a uh, textbook case scenario. When you look at a lot of them and you start identifying all these red flags, so we started noticing that everyone who was pulled into trafficking, they came in, they were approached two different ways. They were either approached face-to-face or they were approached online, okay? So there was an immediate dichotomy of the face-to-face encounter with a predator versus the online. So we took all those red flags, and we had these post notes all over the wall with case after case, and we were writing down what it was we thought this person could have been taught. And so we could, we call that our red flags. And one day I walked in the room, and after looking at it and realizing that there was a dichotomy, we took all those post-it notes, and we on the left side put the face-to-face uh, post-its about cases on one on the left side, and we put the online on the other. And then a few months or went by, and I, I was looking at it, and I just saw all these red flags on the wall, and I saw the word liars. And it really got my attention because that's really, you know, we already knew that all trafficking begins with deception. That was uh, already a given for us. It wasn't, uh, that wasn't an epiphany. And so L stands for location in liars. Each of those letters in that word, I is incredible offer. You mentioned that in your story, you know, that she was told she could make a lot of money. And so if you want to make big money, fast money, easy money, those three words in front of the word money, big money, fast money, easy money, those are are what you call incredible offers. It could be you want to be rich or you want to be famous. And so oftentimes they pretend to be like a reality show producer or they're in the music business or, you know, and they they tell you they can help you, you know, be rich or famous or and famous. And so um, so we noticed – these letters, L-I-A-R-S. So I is incredible offer and the word liars. Uh, A is age difference. R is reaching out. Somebody who you don't know is telling you they can help you be this, be that. And S is stranger, L-I-A-R-S. So L is location, incredible offer, age difference, reaching out, and um, stranger. We noticed on the online side that the red flags the word posers and we developed a training called liars and posers and so basic basically those two things are what we teach and we tell people when people ask what we do we teach children three feet tall the power they have over predators that are six feet tall and you can make the very skilled deception and the very you would almost think they have advanced psychological training of manipulation and deception. They're very good at it. But you can categorize it. We notice that there's unlimited ways to lie, but they all fall into three buckets. You know what the three buckets are in the deception? Every one of the lies that we've seen fall into either bucket number one, it's a fake job. Bucket number two, it's a fake friendship. And bucket number three are fake romance. And so that's how we can simple it down for a young mind to be able to be taught to, you know, be looking for, you know, are they telling me something that fits in one of those buckets? And the, we teach them the red flags, again, the face-to-face red flags in, with the acronym LIARS and the online, the acronym POSERS. And uh, we also teach them where their power comes from. And their power comes from choices. And we teach them which choices either empower you or entrap you. That's real important because, you know, the only way that we can, you know, uh, teach them about this without being a, we don't want to be fear mongers. You know, we want to be empowering agents. And the only way you can empower somebody is to teach them, uh, you know, what skills, knowledge, and choices that they have control, that they can have control over. And so these are the things that we've seen, and I know that we need to do more work in the choices area about pornography because it, that is a choice also. Yeah, and, well, and Amanda it is a was choice. introduced to, 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 yeah, she was introduced to pornography, um, and well, she, and I, uh, they had told her it was easy money, you know, and, and they had said, you know, we have these places set up locations and, you know, um, they don't even have to film your face. That's what they said. Just, just well, part, it, it part of the body. 
It has a similar. And so it's all, uh, it follows the same thing as other addictions, but it also it's a choice that's similar to you know a lot of the big choices in life people are faced with at around the age of 10. If you go to anybody who smokes and they chain smoker as a grown adult in their 50s or 60s and, you know, they may curse the day that they ever started and you ask them, you know, how old were you when you started? Almost always they were 10. And, uh, you know, I will tell you that pornography is kind of like that. You know, even if you're told the warnings, you know, the reward is immediate for engaging in it and viewing it, and the consequences might be way down the road, okay? It might be way down the road, and it's really kind of hard to create an urgency for something, you know, that you say, you know, in 20 years, that may ruin your life. <laughs> and so we have yeah. to have ways of, of being more persuasive and uh, giving them a tool set of how to understand it so that, um whatever part of the brain that gets tickled in a way where it gets a hold of them, you know, you're defending against that and you're controlling that. And so uh, I know there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the area of prevention and pornography, you know, and that is from a, from a consumer standpoint, engaging and viewing it. Um, and um, I think there's a, a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, right now we're, most of the time we're addressing people, you know, when you're working in an agency combating it, you're working with people who are already on the wrong side of that situation and you're trying to help bring them back and normalize their life and get regain their life and come back from tragedy and loss of relationships and jobs and all that stuff. We need to be working much more diligently on the other side before it happens. We need to teach them to, to know that this is out there what it is and why it's bad. And if you see it immediately, you know, shut it off because like I said, there is a built-in curiosity to want to see it. Um, and children, they want to know what they don't know. And at a certain age, they become almost uh, full-time sexually curious. A uh, 12, 13-year-old where hormones are going, they almost have like, you know, a sexually cur sexual curiosity that is just like full-blown all, you know, for alarm fire in their brain. And uh, so we really have to work on uh, preparing. We, they, we don't have the ability to make the world safe. We have an obligation to teach children how to navigate a world that can sometimes be dangerous, sometimes be unforgiving, and sometimes be deadly. You yeah. have to teach them how uh, to navigate it. Yeah. I think, I think uh, one of the things that, from my research and analysis that I've done on, on human trafficking, there's a, couple, there's a couple of points that I have noticed. A lot of these kids that, uh, that fall trapped to human trafficking and get involved in pornography usually come from dysfunctional families where there's no discipline, there's no, there has no, there's no love there. Number two, the other part that is, I think, extremely critical is the aspect of identifying kids that have addicted behavior, addicted behavior, or have a family history of addicted behavior. Because I can tell you from my experience, I have family that has had addicted behavior, and I haven't had any addiction at all of anything, because if you start tracing my family, my parent, my father, my they they didn't have, but I have cousins that their father did have. So I think it, 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 it that addictive behavior carries from generation to generation. If if, if, if it's there, there's a, there's a lot of truth to what you said. When we got started, I will tell you, we started identifying what we call the traits of a uh, very likely candidate high probability victims, we called it. And it had to do with children that came from homes with either abuse or neglect or um, uh, uh, children who came from poverty and, you know, uh, were situations where a child might say at a certain age that the street looks better than their house and so they run away and that's kind of how they end up getting pulled into that world because, you know, there's predators just looking for runaways. And so we, we were looking at that. 
And then I will tell you, just like just like the way human trafficking, generally speaking, changed forever, there are so many different kinds of traffickers now, and that high probability victim became so watered down. The moment that gangs got into trafficking, they don't abduct victims, okay? They coerce victims. You must run away on the weekend and do what we tell you. We're going to kill your family. We know your little brother. We're going to kill your little brother. They coerce them through threat of violence, okay? And so uh, gangs connect with uh, targeted victims mostly online, and that's where we find a lot of posers. They're pretending to be something they're not. And so um, I will tell you pornography, there's a similar parallel. Procurers, developers, producers of pornography have become almost the model for how to market people into something that they don't see coming. They are really good at pulling people in who aren't part of any high probability profile. You can just be doing your work and searching for something and you mistype the word Facebook to go to facebook.com or you mistype whatever and it'll pull you right in and it'll put a cookie on your computer. And even if you immediately delete the site, uh, we have seen people where the what got put on the computer just because you momentarily brought up a site will suddenly create a computer that constantly is popping up windows. Come back, look at this. Here's another picture. Here's another picture. And some some computers, it actually happened to me, uh, and, I, uh, and I'll tell you, uh, you mistype something and something gets put on your computer, or my computer wouldn't do anything but go to one site. I actually had to wipe out a hard drive. And so um, people get pulled in through coercion, like I described, your computer won't do anything but go to their site. They get pulled in through marketing, They'll continually drip pictures and send you, all of a sudden you're getting emails and, you know, and it just, so now um, we, we realize that when we got started, we had a very kind of a narrow view of who a trafficker was who a narrow view of who a John is, and they have a very narrow view of who the victims were. And the more we looked at it, the more it became anyone could be anything, okay? And so um, the same is true for pornography. Uh, it doesn't matter socioeconomic factors, whether your income in your household is below or above a certain threshold. It doesn't matter. Um, if there's uh, dysfunction in the home, it doesn't matter. If there's a you know poverty line that you're below, or uh, you know education level in the household, none of those things have any situ have any impact anymore about who gets pulled in. I mean that the the amount of impact um, is becoming you know uh, minimalized, where just about everybody has some risk. We have a list of people who have been arrested for traffickers that reads like a list that you get from the phone book. I mean, you know, we thought of traffickers as, uh, I'm going to use the word pimp and thug. That was kind of the picture we had in our head when we got started. And now in our database of people from all these cases we look at, we've had bankers, lawyers, professors, teachers, law enforcement, pastors. I mean, these are people arrested for trafficking. And if you look at the victims, they come from every kind of home, and you look at the Johns. Okay, so we thought that all predators were men, and we know now that sometimes it's a couple and sometimes it's a woman. We know sometimes a girl that it gets too old to be trafficked and has no other thing she knows. And she got pulled in at 12 and she's 22. She becomes a predator and becomes a trafficker herself. And so we have people who graduate from target to victim to trafficker. And in the pornography world, they're very good at pulling anybody anywhere. That if you, Who doesn't have a computer and who doesn't have a cell phone? Everybody on the planet has one. People in third world countries are walking around with cell phones. And so that's the new tool because it is the way that most people receive Internet. It is now how traffickers are, I mean, pornographers are using pornography. And so chat apps that are just uh, in, uh, designed to, you know, display pornography of all these Look at these uh, chat apps like um, what, what's the one where your picture disappears right away uh, after uh, sharing it? What's it called? Uh, you talk about uh, the chat app? WhatsApp? Yeah. Um, not WhatsApp. Uh, it's, uh, it's the one that uh, 
you can text a photo five seconds after you see it, the photo disappears. Well, I, uh, forgive me for, you know, I've got so much information in my head, and yeah. every now and then a word like that just escapes me. But the point that I was going to make is that that chat app was basically designed for people to figure this is a great way to take nude selfies because you're going to send it to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and it's going to disappear right after they think it's going to disappear. And, and we know now that it doesn't. They got hacked, and a lot of those pictures were still on the servers of the company who produces a chat app, but it, it disappears from your cell phone. And so, like I said, we live in a time where the culture is grooming young people to be hypersexualized and to be producers and of their own porn. And, you know, and it's no different if they're producing it than if it's coming from, you know, the porn capital of the world, uh, which I think is Malibu. And uh, forgive me yeah. to the city of Malibu if I got it wrong, but I think it is. And um, so um, it's, we're no longer talking about the concern for professionally produced porn. We're, we're, we're concerned about porn produced by minors of themselves. And so it it is, like I said, just become – like I, I mentioned, you know, it's uh, become a Pandora's box. And uh, I think that we're looking at a, at a situation where I don't know what it takes to, you know, to cl- close that box. Uh, I really doubt that everybody's going to come together and say, we're all going to go back to flip phones. I just don't think that's going to happen. And so I remember reading that both Bill Gates and Steve Jobs did not allow their children to have cell phones or iPads or tablets. And um, those, those two things have become tools that ca- can do so much good in the world of education and discovery, but there are people out there who have figured out how to use them for so much evil. And uh, part of that, that uh project we're working on, the ECGI, Early Childhood uh, Guidance and Instruction, is to provide parents with tools to understand and think about what age do you give your child a full-blown smartphone and, uh, you know, what rules do you need to have on the use of that smartphone if if and when they get one. And uh, right now, you know, kids are bugging their parents to give them one at an earlier and earlier age. And without really much thought about, you know, what you're really handing them, you know, your child can get in as much or more trouble at 10 years old if you give them a smartphone as you could if you say, here's a bottle of vodka. I'm going to trust you to know how to use it and when to use it and where to use it. You can get into as much or more trouble with a smartphone as you can if you gave them, you know, cocaine or a bottle of vodka. Uh, it's a world of trouble that can lead to destruction, death. It can lead to imprisonment. It can lead to becoming a slave. I mean, all of those things are within the realm of possibility because this unprepared child has this tool that they do not understand in their hand and in their pocket. Right. Maybe technology came out too soon before we really understood it with this Internet. Well, I think what well, happened is, you know, no matter what, no matter when it came out, when it if it would come out later in history, we still would have been unprepared for the unknown consequences of it. The only thing that could have been done is maybe that it, that if cell phones were only for uh, law enforcement or this, that, or the other, we would have seen bad stuff. In any group, you give them that tool, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have some people who use it for good, bad, or evil, and it doesn't matter. I mean, we could have just said only pastors have cell phones. You would have had a subset of that group that would have been using it for evil. Uh, and that's one of the things we learned is that uh, we anybody could get pulled into something like this, anybody. And um, right. I think uh, if you look at pornography, if you try to isolate it, you know. Yeah, um, so i got to cut you because you know, we're not running out of time. Okay. Uh, well, can you mention your website? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so people can go to our website at thinkfreedomcampaign.org. The word think, freedomcampaign.org. 
Um, and Ruben, um, do you want to do the closer? I do. In today's thank you, Doreen. Okay. Today's world, we're facing a crisis with human trafficking that we have not seen in, in, in ever, and we need to step up as a country, as a world. Otherwise, we'll lose it forever. God bless America. Yep. And Very true. So I'd like to thank you for com- coming on today. And you're well, definitely welcome back. I appreciate back. the invitation. It's a very important topic. Definitely. Um, and folks, um, hang out until next week. Um, when we go live, we're actually going to bring on somebody um, who uh, is age 24, and he's going to run for freeholder over here in New Jersey. Uh, wow. He All wants right. to talk about the youth a little bit. Yep. So, folks, stay tuned until next week. Um, and also, if you can go to studentsforabetterfuture.com and kind of make a donation, um, that would be awesome. It's a, that's the youth that brings the show every week to you. And we'll see you guys next week. Have a good, have a good, good week, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great evening. Yeah.